2: I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, comedian Maz Jabrani tells us why he won't play terrorists on TV, but he will play Disney villain Jafar.
1: Listen, I don't mind playing bad guys. I would love to play bad guys. Like, I, I don't want to play terrorists. It's a difference, I think.
3: And then we mark the moment in history when Helen Keller met Ann Sullivan, the miracle worker. That and your nerd confessions on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something.
4: Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! nerd.
2: I'm Greta Johnson.
3: I'm Trisha Bobita. And you're listening to Nerdette.
2: Maj Jobrani just came out with a memoir called I'm Not a Terrorist, But I've Played One on TV. He's a founder of the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour, and he moved from Iran to the U.S. when he was just six years old, right before the revolution in 1979.
3: Maz Jobrani grew up as one of the few Iranian-American kids in the Bay Area. Now he's raising his kids in California and working as a comedian and actor.
2: At the core of his book and his career was a choice he made after some uncomfortable experiences to decide to pass up on TV and movie roles if he had to play a terrorist.
1: I played different parts in junior high school. In high school, I got to play Batman in high school, Little Abner in junior high school. I loved acting, and I thought that this is great. You go to Hollywood, you can play anything. You know, I might be considered for some parts, like the FBI agent. Um, but when you show up and, and they find out that you're of Middle Eastern descent, a lot of the auditions that you get are for terrorist parts. And so early in my career, I got a part of um, terrorists in a Chuck Norris movie of the week. <laughs> And already I was like, I don't know if I should do this. And then I thought, you know what? This is going to move my career forward. It will also maybe help me make some money that I could put towards quitting my day job. So I said, this is okay, I'll do it. So when I went to do it, I was playing an Afghan terrorist who's in Chicago. This is pre 9 11. He comes to Chicago to blow up a building. I went to do the wardrobe fitting, and they go, here's your shirt, here's your pants, here's your turban. And I said, oh, Afghans in America don't wear turbans. I said, Indian Sikhs wear turbans. We should get this right. And they were like, dude, this is a Chuck Norris movie. So just (laughs) put on the turban. And so a little bit of argument back and forth. Ended up wearing it. Felt like an idiot. And then I went back home to LA. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to say no to these parts. And then the TV show 24 called. And they said, we have a terrorist part. And I said, no, thank you. And then they go, but he changes his mind halfway through the mission. I was like, ooh, the ambivalent Mm. terrorist. That sounds interesting. (laughs) So I did that as well. And then after that, I realized, you know what? I really don't want to do this. And this was at a part, actually, of my career where I was doing stand-up, but it hadn't really taken off yet. So when I decided to make this decision of of not taking these parts, it could have been detrimental to me in terms of just financially. Sure. But I felt good making that decision, and it was nice. And, look, I ended up playing Indian cab drivers. I've played— hot dog store-owning uh, uh, Middle Easterners who yell. I've I, I played all kinds of different parts. <laughs> is
2: that what it says on the call sheet? <laughs> guy who yells? Was.
1: Yeah, guy who yells. It, you it, have it,
2: yelling listed as a skill set on yelling, your resume. Right? Yelling is funny sometimes.
1: It really is. Um, you know. So I've played all these different parts, and somebody might go, well, that's stereotypical, that's stereotypical. I go, look, I don't mind playing the, the hot dog guy. I don't mind playing the cab driver uh, because... When I go to you know New York or Chicago or L.A., wherever I am, I see these guys. There's Middle Easterners who own stores that, that I've been to. As a matter of fact, I remember one time—this is, this is totally random, but I remember one time I was in um, Philadelphia after a show, and I went to this pizza place right across the street from the club. They had four cheese pizza, which has four cheeses, and the guy behind the counter was a Middle Eastern guy. And I go, yeah, let me have four cheese pizzas. So he starts pulling out four slices of cheese. And I was like, no, I want the four. He's like, you want four cheese or four cheese? I'm like, I said four cheese. He's like, you said four cheese. I'm like, yeah, I meant the four cheese. It was his back and forth. And I'm watching. I'm like, ooh, I can play this guy. So I don't mind those parts. But the terrorist thing, the problem with the terrorist thing is that I know a lot of Middle Easterners. I know Arabs. I know Indians, Pakistanis. Um, uh, you know, They're not Middle Eastern, but whatever. I know people from that part of the world. I know Muslims. I'm Iranian myself. All the people I know are good people. But when you watch the news, you would think that everyone from that part of the world is ISIS. Right. And I used to think that I was making it up until this past Christmas. I'm Iranian. My wife's Indian. So our kid's half and half. And then our neighbors are black and white. So their kid's half and half. And the neighbor's kid, his cousin, came to visit from Wisconsin. And he's just full white. And I guess Wisconsin white. Wisconsin white. (laughs) And I guess he. He must not be surrounded with as much diversity because a little six-year-old kid, really nice kid. I took them all to the movies, and before we went in to see the film, I took them to the bathroom washed their hands. So we're washing our hands, and this Indian Sikh walks in, wearing a turban, washes his hands, walks out. My kids, nobody notices anything. The Wisconsin kid, his jaw drops, and he turns to me. He goes, that dude was ISIS. Oh. And I go, what? He goes, that dude was ISIS. And I go, no. I go, no, no, no. I go, he was an, he's an Indian Sikh. I go, my son, who you've been playing with all weekend, he's half Indian. And then my son got confused. And he's like, yeah, I was born in India. I go, you weren't born in India. <laughs> You're half, your mother's Indian. You know, and the poor the poor kid from Wisconsin was like, your, your mother's ISIS? I'm like, no. Oh, no. It got very confusing. But my point is that I realized that this kid, whether it was because he's seen it on the news or whatever, he assumes that that's the case. And so you realize, oh wow, playing these parts really does add to that stereotype. Um, so I've said no and I'm happy. I've been able to, you know, do other parts that I enjoy doing.
2: You are soon playing Jafar from Aladdin in the Disney movie The Descendants that comes out this summer. So that might be an example of what you're talking about. It's an overbroad, probably fun character to play that maybe hopefully Toes of the line between stereotypes and a yeah fun character.
1: Yeah, I don't listen. Uh, people got upset with Aladdin, and I can see you know I could see why. They you know, there were certain things in there that definitely depicted the Arabs and the people of that part of the world as being these uh, savages, right? This part of Jafar is in a movie called Descendants, and Descendants is about the kids of four of the disney villains so it's maleficent <laughs> and it's jafar and it's uh, cruella and it's i think it's the evil godmother or whatever the you know f- the, from cinderella um, oh sure. yeah yeah so anyway so when I saw this I looked at it and first of all the movie's about the kids secondly like it was a fun silly almost cartoon-like part to do it's a supporting role as well it's not like the biggest part of it and again I don't mind listen I don't mind playing bad guys I would love to play bad guys like I it doesn't matter if they're Middle Eastern or Arab or whatever but I always say like I don't want to play terrorists. It's a difference, I think. So Jafar is a silly character. It's a cartoon character. And you'll see in the in the movie, it, there's nothing violent about him. And in the movie, as a matter of fact, it's about our kids. And Jafar's kid is one of the stars. And he's kind of you know, this leading man type. It's really, it's actually kind of cool what they've done with it. It's interesting because what you said, somebody could look at my book and go, well, you say this on the one hand, but then you're playing that. And I I tell them, I go, you haven't seen the movie and you haven't read the book. So you're literally judging (laughs) a book by its cover, you know.
3: Still to come, how Maz Jobrani makes sure his comedy doesn't get lost in translation when he does stand-up around the world.
2: And we get to know great lady nerds of history, Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller. This is Nerdette.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series.
2: You're listening
3: to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. We're talking with comedian Maz Gibrani about what he's learned from telling jokes all over the world.
1: First of all, I think the Internet has really made the world a smaller place. Secondly, I always talk about how the rest of the world knows a lot more about us than we know about the rest of the world. For example, during um, the elections uh, with uh, Obama and McCain the first time, the rest of the world knew who the vice presidential candidate was. Sarah Palin got so much coverage. Meanwhile, I'm living in California. I don't even know who the governor of Nevada is. <laughs> you know, I don't know who's next door, you yeah. know. So much less, you know, you ask an American, you know, who's the leader of throughout any country. And a lot of Americans don't know. We don't know because it's just, it's just not in the news that much, right? So I think the Internet has really helped. So, you can go to these places and make certain references. That said, you also got to kind of watch something that, that really does well in the US, might not in the Middle East or in other parts of the world. And this happened to me where recently I was in Saudi Arabia and I used to do this sometimes do this joke about it refers to bin Laden. And I talk about in my stand up, I talk about how, you know, when you have kids at, at home, like I have two young kids, I say, when you have kids at home, your time is no longer your own. And I go, when you have young kids at home, you have to take care of your to-do list while they're sleeping. And I say, you're like a Navy SEAL. you got to be ready to go anytime, any place. <laughs> so I said, I said, you know, the other day the kids were sleeping. I go to my wife. I go, let's make some love. And she goes, I'm not in the mood. And I go, I'm not in the mood either, but the enemy's sleeping. Let's go. And then I go, let's go, let's go. You know, I got I to gotta kill bin Laden. Let's do this. And then jokingly, I turn to the audience and I say, that's what we call making love at our house, Killing Bin Laden. You know, that's the, <laughs> that's the joke. It's funnier on stage. So people are hearing this right now going like, what? You guys see it on stage. It's actually, it works. Um, but the problem became the Bin Laden family. I was doing shows in Saudi Arabia. And the Bin Laden family is actually a respected family out there. Not, not Osama, but the family. So as I was doing it, I'm getting closer and I'm going, oh, my God. Are these guys going to – can I get away with this? And I got to that part, and I remember kind of like going through it and feeling judged. Now, I don't know if they were judging me or if it was just me, but you realize, oh, wow, this joke that in 90% of the Western world, 99% of the Western world, people love. I was like, wow, it might not do that well here. And it does well in other countries in the, in the Middle East. Sure. But Saudi Arabia was kind of sensitive. So you run into that sometimes, you know?
3: I grew up in Alaska, so I'm pretty sensitive about Sarah Palin.
1: (laughs) I could tell. I could tell. When I mentioned her
2: name, you started crying just a little bit. (laughs) Just quiet tears, quiet tears. Well, and because you're doing stand-up, you're going to get that audience reaction immediately. You get the emails, too, from the people who are upset, but you're going to feel it immediately in the room, and that must be a different level of—because you could derail a whole show with something that falls just flat or the wrong way with a different audience if it's— irony lost in translation or the joke just doesn't fall because of some other reason.
1: Absolutely. And the the fact is you don't rehearse your set before you go on. Because I, I, you know, as a stand-up comedian, I'm touring all around. I'm doing hour-long shows maybe five, six times a week. So when I go into another city, I don't sit there and go, oh, what are the bits? I mean, sometimes I go, oh, wait a minute, that bit I could kind of tweak. But sometimes you end up in a bit and you're already in it and you go, oh, no, I'm not sure if this is going to go over well. I did another show in Toronto uh for a conference it was um they you know usually it's my shows and if it's my live shows people come to see it i don't care like people basically have come to see me this is what you're going to get but these guys had hired me for um and it was a muslim event and there was like 10,000 muslims it was it was egyptians who were running it and very nice audience but i get to this joke where again the joke here is i talk about trying to put my daughter to sleep when she was a baby and how i would sing to her and she wouldn't fall asleep, and then she was learning to talk, and this is true, when she was learning to talk, she knew like five or six names, and every night she would have to check in with me to see if they're sleeping before she would sleep. Oh. So every night, you know, she'd be like, Mommy, I'd be like, Sleeping. You know, Dara, her brother, Sleeping. Donovan, the neighbor's kid, Sleeping. Kevin, the neighbor, Sleeping. Everyone, just go, go, go. <laughs> Finally, I'd be like, you know, everyone's sleeping but you, you know. <laughs> and in the joke... I jokingly say, like, Lord Jesus Christ, make her sleep. And then I go, I'm not even Christian. Make her sleep, Jesus. And then I go, the first God that puts her to sleep, I'll convert. <laughs> and and then I turn around and I go, you know, come on, Jesus. Let's go, Moses. Where are you, Muhammad? You know, get involved, Buddha. Come back, Zoroaster, You know, give it a try, Baha'i. Zeus. So, Zeus. Zeus. That's a good tag. I'm going to add that to it. <laughs> Zeus. That's nice. Um, so. So in doing that, usually people are into it. But when I was doing it at this conference with—it was a Muslim conference. As I got to it, I realized, you know, converting in Islam is a no-no. So as I got closer to it, I was like, am I going to do this? Am I going to say that I'll convert? And I don't know if these people thought I was Muslim or not. I was born in a Muslim country. You know, I come from a Muslim background, but I'm not really religious. So I got to it, and and I had to kind of— after I'd already set up a lot of the joke, I actually aborted the joke. Like I was like, uh, you know what? I don't need that section. I'll just leave it. You know, I I think I might have even said, "Lord Jesus Christ, make her sleep." And I think, again, might have been my head, but <laughs> but I also I think that the audience was like, "Did he just say Lord Jesus Christ?" You know, like <laughs> is, I thought Lord was, Wait, uh, right? you know, isn't it Muhammad? What's going, you know, like you oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you do run into those situations. <laughs> kind of interesting.
3: So how old are your kids now?
1: Six and four. It's an amazing age, and it's amazing how fast they grow. I say to people, like, when you have kids, it's like—I think it's the closest—having kids, I think, is the closest to being in the military. <laughs> because when I see, like, people that are in the military and they talk to each other, like, they have war stories, you know. And I'm not comparing it at all to the, to the seriousness of it, but I do compare it to how when you are with the parent— Boom, we're in the know. We're just like, oh, yeah, my kid too did it. And you're just, and then people that don't have kids kind of stare at you like, what are they talking about? Yeah,
2: what are these words they're using?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when I do shows, if I'm, when I do jokes about my kids, and I look in the audience, I can see the parents, the parents that are like falling out of their chairs. And then I see like the, the people that don't have, like the hipsters in their early 20s are looking <laughs> at me like, what's he talking about? And it's an interesting thing. And, and I've also said like, kids remind you that you're getting older and kids remind you that time is passing. Because you do, you blink your eyes. You're like, what happened? Like, you were just one and now you're 10? Like, how did that happen? And I have friends who are like in their 50s and still single. And I go, those people have no idea that they're getting older. You know, and they're like, <laughs> wow. yeah, I'm going to the club tonight. I'm going to be at the club with some 20-year-old girls. And I'm like, good luck to you, buddy. You know, <laughs> you're going to, yeah. a, it's a crazy existence.
2: We were talking with someone about the movie Boyhood, which over 12 years, filmed over 12 years, shows one character grow up. And we were talking with someone about it who said, you realized watching it that the story is as much about the parents as it is about the boy. But the boy grows up and everybody else just ages. There's yeah. this, growing up is so exciting and you so badly want to get to becoming an adult and all of this. And then from there on out, you're just aging. It's yeah. over. It's just, just aging. downhill you're right. from
1: there. <laughs> you know, I once in a while just look like when I when I see different celebrities, I look at the ones that, are, that look pretty good still. And I'm like, oh, there's still hope. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, and and, and, and my hope is like ah, nowadays there's so much like everyone does plastic surgery and all that. I'm like, I just hope that, I, that my genes are good enough where I don't look at myself in the mirror at 60 and go, you know what? I think I'm going to get some stuff pulled. <laughs> I hope I don't do that. I really don't. I, I like the natural look, you know, and I think, and, and hopefully, I, I hope that if you eat right and you exercise, I always say you have a certain point where you can choose to either go the sting route or the Marlon Brando route. <laughs> Now, if you remember Brando, at the end of his career, remember he did the 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 um, he did the Larry King interview? Mm-hmm. And he just, I mean, he was Marlon Brando's streetcar named Desire. And he showed up and he had just let himself go. He didn't care. He brought cookies. Remember that? <laughs> he brought cookies for Larry King. Larry King's like, Marlon, what have you been doing all these days? He's like, I've been baking cookies, Larry. I brought you some cookies. And Larry's like, you <laughs> know, it was great. It was the funniest interview ever. So that was like you see him, and then you see Sting, and he's just like you know, yoga, fit as a fiddle, and I'm like, oh wow, like I think you got to go that route because
2: maybe Louis the happy medium there, yeah, because he basically you know in his most recent special, which we just watched actually that we watched online, his whole bit is this is just it now, this is whatever this is, it's just maintaining this. There's no hope of change in either direction. I'm just gonna this is it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, I think ultimately it's the fact is that human beings weren't meant to last past 40 or 50, whatever it is, you know, but now we have a lot of science and medicine and we keep going. And the problem becomes, I mean, it's just crazy. Like every year something new, you know, you go, Oh, I've got like, you know, I have acid reflux and then now I need a pill for that. Oh, and then I got a pill for this and then a pill and you keep going. And eventually you're like, just to get up and walk, is such a, it, it hurts, <laughs> you know? So really, I, I'm i trying to like, I got my back's been hurting me, so I'm just mm-hmm. trying to kind of transition. Like, I grew up my whole life playing soccer. And now I'm like, okay, maybe I should retire and put that time into yoga. And I'll tell you, when I've done yoga, it's been great. But a lot of times, I don't put the time in. But it's just kind of, I think you just got to change your frame of mind and go, I am not that young buck. Because your mind thinks you are. And the worst thing that you can do is watch a professional Event, professional sporting event, and go, Ooh, I'm gonna go do that. (laughs) And you go out, and the moment you hit that field, you're like, Oi! You're like, What was that? I didn't know there was a muscle in that part of my leg. It would be great if, like, there were uh, some sort of rule that said, Okay, you're 40 now. Okay, you know, like they ID'd you before they let you on a field. <laughs> yeah, right. you know, you're 40. Oh, sorry. You actually have these are the activities you can do there's yoga, uh, there's uh, swimming, swimming, uh, knitting. Knitting is a good one. <laughs> you may want to try knitting. <laughs> you're like, okay, that works.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm already a grandma. It's good, so good for
1: you. Good for you. It's perfect. <laughs>
2: Thanks to Maz Jobrani for joining us. His new book is I'm Not a Terrorist, But I've Played One on TV, Memoirs of a Middle Eastern Funny Man. You can follow him on Twitter at Maz Gibrani. It's time now for Great Lady Nerds of History. There have been a lot of great teachers in my life. I'm lucky. At school and at home, where I grew up in a family of teachers, it was always clear to me that being a nerd was cool, because knowledge was important and curiosity was a virtue. This week's Great Lady Nerds of History are a duo. One student and one teacher. And it's about the day they met. On March 3rd, 1887, 21-year-old Anne Sullivan met 6-year-old Helen Keller. A lot of you probably know who Helen Keller is. Maybe you've seen The Miracle Worker, the play, you've read it, you've seen reference to her in pop culture. Her incredible story has permeated the consciousness of our culture so that, unlike a lot of the women we talk about in this segment, she isn't a footnote in history. She's often front and center. But I want us to get to know a little better Ann Sullivan, that 21-year-old teacher who met an incorrigible child desperate to learn and opened the world for her. Until Anne Sullivan entered Helen Keller's life, it was unclear that Helen would ever be able to communicate, not really, as someone who was blind and deaf at the turn of the century. <coughs> Anne Sullivan started signing words into Helen's hand to make her understand that everything has a name. That pivotal scene in The Miracle Worker with the pump and the water, where Helen understands for the first time what Anne's trying to say. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, then I don't know what to tell you. Because imagine being locked in your mind and having one person make it so you can communicate with everyone else. With Anne's help, Helen learned almost 600 words. Anne Sullivan went to college with Helen Keller at Radcliffe in 1900. Anne spelled the contents letter by letter from class lectures into Helen's hand. Helen Keller became the first person who was deaf and blind to graduate from college. The two of them spent their lives attacking the social taboos about people who were deaf or blind, creating educational opportunities for people like Helen, and inspiring teachers and students everywhere. Their relationship and the things they were able to achieve together as student and teacher reminds students that learning is hard sometimes, and that's okay because it's worth it. And it reminds teachers that their patience is worth it, and everyone is desperate to learn no matter how incorrigible they may seem. Ann Sullivan knew that. And the teachers in my life know that. I think it's good for the rest of us to remember, too. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. Time now for homework from Maz Gibrani.
1: My homework is, and I know we're on a podcast, but I'm going to assign another podcast that I've been listening to a lot. Listen, and, and he doesn't need my help. But the Mark Maron podcast, WTF, Mm. I tell everybody about it because he interviews everybody. He interviewed me on one of the earlier ones. But if you get the subscription, you can hear that interview. I love it because I think that I've told him this as well. It feels like he's doing a therapy session with everybody. And what's beautiful about listening to that as an outsider just listening, it makes you feel like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one with problems. We all have problems. And no matter who the person is, whether it's a musician, he's done, you know, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. And and, I mean, he's done everybody Uh, uh, Richard Linklider, directors. He's done everybody. Mike Judge. And it's great. It's really interesting to me. I love hearing people's stories of how they got to where they're going. And so, yeah, WTF Podcast, listen to it, report back.
3: I gotta say, Trisha, I think Moz is onto something with this whole idea of reporting back after your homework.
2: Well, they can always call us at 312 600 5638. Maybe doing their homework prompts a nerd confession.
3: Oh, very nice. Now it is time to hear from you. Time for nerd confessions.
4: Hi, this is Lauren for my nerd confession. This takes us back to when I was a preteen and my super cool parents got me my own phone line, my own telephone line. When I got my first answering machine, I had to leave my greeting or whatever you call it. So I decided to record an episode of the X Files, you know, so on VHS, because this is in the nineties. So once I had that recorded, I played the opening credits of the x-files and i held up this little um little white box of a answering machine and i hit the you know record button so i recorded you know the beginning of the x-files theme song and then i said the truth is out there and so am i please leave a message and i'll call you back so as if this is not nervy enough i'm sure that it had taken me at least 10 times of recording this to get it right because the first time I did it and held it up to the TV and then played this thing back, the sound was crazy because I'm holding a little tiny answering machine up to my, you know, old TV. It was kind of amazing, but that definitely lasted on my answering machine for quite a while. And that is my near confession. Thanks.
2: Oh, Lauren, I love this so much. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Everything about it, the X-Files, the sound mixing, it's just so beautiful. I want to tell Lauren that I feel we're kindred spirits because when I was in middle school, I was supposed to read the announcements. I don't know why, because I was the <laughs> goody two-shoes kid. And my friend and I were supposed to read the announcements over the PA every day. And I decided that we needed to jazz them up. And so I brought in my keyboard and set it to the sound effect setting. And I added a lot of sound effects, probably a little more morning zoo than public radio. boop a bop beep Yep. Chicken nuggets for lunch today. Wah, wah. That kind of thing. (laughs) And I genuinely never got any feedback from my classmates about it, which means either no one heard it or they were all just so confused by it that they never responded to it. I I wish I could have called you and gotten your voicemail, Lauren. Then we could have invited you to come and read the announcements with us at our middle school.
3: The truth is out there and so are we. Call us with Your Nerd Confessions, 312-600-5638. You can also call and suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile, or just say hi, we love voicemails. That's 312-600-5638. Thanks to Maz Gibrani for joining us this week. Find us at
2: nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at nerdatpodcast for mini book reviews. Little teeny tiny book reviews. This show is produced by us, Tricia Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Disseau and Colleen Pellissier. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org.
3: Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.
2: Throw some stars and write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent H H H G F F R N did on iTunes. Try to pronounce it, go ahead. Hugfern. Hugfern. Hug a fern. Hug a fern. Maybe they're an environmentalist who hates vowels. (laughs) We appreciate the stars, the retweets, and the shares. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd who works for a business, or maybe you own one because you're a super nerd, and you want to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email us at nerdetpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our
3: theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear.
2: Do your homework. Do your homework.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer, Sundays, exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.